You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 12th of July, 2018, on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Bage. On today's show... Mr Speaker, today we published the government's white paper on the UK's future relationship with the EU. After some years and very few details, the British government has published its white paper on Brexit, its new strategy for negotiating with the EU. Is Theresa May's cabinet finally on board after the exits and turmoil? My guests Juliet Foster and Michael Binion will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including... I think they like me a lot in the UK. I think they agree with me on immigration. Trump comes to town. No, not just a bright orange balloon over the skies of London. The U.S. president has touched down. How will a weakened May and emboldened Trump carry on the historically strong relationship between Washington and London? And we dig in on Vladimir Putin's diplomatic strategy playing out in the stands at the World Cup. All that plus the NHS is the largest purchaser of fax machines. Did any of us know you could still buy a fax machine? A look at antiquated technology. All to come on Midori House with me, Daniel Bache. So welcome to Midori House. My guests today are journalist and broadcaster Juliet Foster and Michael, Michael Binion, foreign affairs specialist for The Times. Welcome both to the program and back to Studio One. After two years of indecision, the UK government, led by Theresa May, has finally published its strategy white paper, which will form the basis of its future negotiations for exiting the EU. The paper says businesses must be able to have their talented people move between the EU and UK and the EU tourists, and students should be able to travel freely in the UK without a visa. If this all sounds a lot like the UK already is, that's because it is and has not gone down well with the Conservative Party's Brexit-supporting right wing. The tiny group of individuals, the whole of the UK, is actually leaving Europe to satisfy. Michael, I'm going to start with you. This paper has arrived two years into the Brexit process. Nobody seems happy with it. Should Theresa May have come up with something better, perhaps? Well, she should have come up with something two years ago, for Mm. a start. Uh, I think this is as good as she could get in order to get the minimum basis agreement for perhaps the minimum amount of MPs to allow it to go through. But as you say, it's been hit by all sides because those who want a hard Brexit say it's not hard enough. It's just as though we were staying in the EU and uh, we're calling things like the customs union by another name. We're Mm. calling a lot of the things they object to uh, something different, but it's actually the same thing. Whereas those who want to stay in the EU altogether say, actually, we should just dump this and we should go for a second referendum. And in fact, the Remainers have got a real problem now because they don't know whether to go for what looks like a compromise, which may work, or to simply throw it out Mm. uh, and risk getting nothing at all or go for the second referendum, which they may not win. And there's no guarantee as well um, that when it has to go to Europe, because they've intonated quite strongly that they're not budging on their red lines, that the Europeans are likely to accept it. And that's a headache for Dominic Raab because he's just picking up the mantle from where David Davis left off. And I would venture that um, from the European perspective, it's like game on because we've got this this new kid on the block who's mm. been agitating from the sidelines. He's now in the hot seat and he's 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 pretty much in the same position as, as his boss, really, that he's, he's trying to, to, to reconcile two sides. And it's probably 
probably be like to be accused of being a turncoat as well because he's actually backing <laughs> yeah. it. And yet before he got the job, he was there with Jacob Rees-Mogg saying, oh, sell out, sell out, sell out. I mean, the whole thing's a complete mess, really. <laughs> Brand new on the job, Julia. Uh, will he have had any input at all on this paper that was thrown out from a box today? They didn't have enough uh, to go around. Uh, well, that well, well, that was quite embarrassing, actually, because right. I, I caught that um, on the television before I left the house that John Burko had to suspend the Commons because the, the, the indignity, the media got the copies of the white paper right. before the MPs. I mean, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the announcement of the strategy in the House of Commons was chaotic, as we've said. Fellow MPs did not have the printouts given to them, but the press, as we say, had them. Uh, why can this government not do anything smoothly at this point? <laughs> it's a real mystery. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong mm. in so many different ways. And unfortunately, it's compounded by the fact that uh, Mrs. May has no overall majority. Mm. Therefore, she has no time to get on with any other bit of government. And all sorts of other things are just put on hold. Mm. I mean, there's been talk for years about a real big government plan to boost housing supply. Mm. We've seen nothing of it, nothing happening at all. Uh, They've thrown some more money at the National Health Service, the minimum that's needed. We've no idea where the money's coming from or how they're going to provide (laughs) it. Uh, And the problem is she is stuck between two competing factions in the Conservative Party. She, for the moment, I think, is personally secure because... Uh, neither side wants somebody else. I mean, Mm. each wants his own faction, and she's in the middle somehow. So if they overthrow her, first of all, they don't want a general election because on the way things are now running, the Conservatives almost certainly be thrown out. And secondly, they can't agree who they'd replace her with. Mm. So she's there, but we don't know what she's there for. (laughs) Mm. Mm, Exactly. And I can't help thinking as I I see this whole Brexit fiasco expand, because it's, it's just like a meandering river, is that you do wonder whether she triggered Article 50 too quickly because she was criticised at the time that she was pacifying the Brexiteers to prove that she was serious about Brexit because, of course, she campaigned to remain in Europe. But unfortunately, in triggering Article 50, she didn't have a plan. That was the thing, except that Brexit means Brexit, yeah. whatever that means. Whatever that I mean, means. it's one right. of the most empty and useless expressions to have come out of this, quite frankly. Well, Donald Trump said the same thing, speaking earlier, Brexit is Brexit, but it was turning out a little bit differently with the UK, partially involved with the EU. Is it a fair point? Well, in general, yes. yes. But, I yeah. mean, it's not a very profound point. No. <laughs> and you wouldn't sure. rather... It's called stating the yeah. bleeding yeah. obvious, yeah. really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> That's slightly what you expect from Donald Trump. I mean... He is pretty annoyed that his good buddy Boris Johnson, the former mm. secretary, has left. And he actually wanted to come and talk to him. But that presents a real diplomatic protocol Absolutely. problem. You can't really sure. talk to the foreign secretary once he's been uh, out, well, once he's taken himself out of office. Uh, you, uh, by, if you're going to talk foreign policy, you have to talk to the person who now holds the office. But I don't think there's going to be very much uh, serious foreign policy going on while Donald Trump is here in, right. Washington, uh, in uh, <laughs> London. He's not going to be in London very much. He's going mm. to see the Queen, which is good for photo opportunities and plays well back home. He's going to play two days of golf in Scotland and then, for him, the big fun and games is meeting President Putin. And that's right. actually far more important. I think that certainly for the UK, from his point of view, you're absolutely right, Michael, it's the photo op, the photo op yeah. of the Queen. He can't quite top President Obama because he's shaking hands with her at Windsor, not at Buck Powell, yeah. which yeah. is where all the, all the American presidents tend to go. But it is a castle. It is a castle. It looks good castle. in the photos. Absolutely, it's a castle. He's shaking hands with the so, you know, that that's yeah. great. But I mean, really, it's just a stepping stone to the really big deal. And that yeah. is a summit in Helsinki, meeting his idol, right. uh, Vladimir, yeah. Vladimir his Putin. Idol, I like that. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, well, let's move on. Let's stay on Donald Trump then. Uh, he described uh, the country as somewhat in turmoil earlier today. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> that is also <laughs> yeah. equally fair. Yeah. It doesn't take a brilliant political yeah. ana- a brain to uh, work that out, but it is in complete turmoil. Right. And the problem is that uh, not only is Britain caught in the middle, particularly over things like NATO, yeah. where uh, Britain... Uh, feels they've been the good boys in NATO. They have actually uh, spent enough money to qualify for what uh, Mr. Trump said. Well, of course, now Mr. Trump wants to double the amount that all uh, <laughs> European Union, or, well, European, sorry, not Union, European mm-hmm. allies should spend it, to make it 4%. But Britain, uh, on the other hand, sides very much with its European allies on such things as um, the trade wars that mm. are being threatened across the Atlantic, on climate change, on a whole yep. raft of issues where the Europeans are taking one view and Britain has taken the other. And so Britain is really caught in the middle of trying to distance itself uh, at the moment from its European allies in terms of uh, our economic future, but trying to remain close with them in our defence future. Mm. And equally uneasy about what Mr Trump may be planning for Helsinki. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, what I find fascinating about uh, the, the whole NATO business is the fact that um, when Mr Trump first arrived in Brussels, um, he was very angry over breakfast. And then in his press conference today, he said, yep, I've got it all sorted out. Well, as far as I'm aware... They've said, OK, we are going to, to reach our 2% of GDP target, but they're sticking to the same deadline. He didn't right. actually say, I've told them they've got to get this done um, by 2019 or whatever. Obviously, they can only move at their own pace. But also as well, and I think you touched on this, Michael, is that, look, we do have, if it's not a trade war, a major trade spat. Yep between the United States and China, and it will escalate. Although the Chinese haven't exactly said what they're going to do, I think the the looseness of the wording is quite ominous in itself. And like it or not, we're going to get sucked into this. Britain will get sucked into this. The EU will get sucked into this. In which case, how can Mrs May negotiate an absolutely brilliant trade deal with the Americans if if we're trying to stay loyal to the Europeans in the NATO Union? And the other thing which you have to be very, very wary about as well was that even though... Trump pulled back to a certain extent is the fact that he hinted that if he didn't get his own way on the targets, if NATO didn't comply, he would pull out. Now, he couldn't really do that as such because of the makeup of of NATO and the way that um, it it came about and the the fact that it was effectively signed, signed in by various processes. But the question is, how would he try to weaken America's America's presence, mm. would he actually cut down on, on contributions, etc., to basically cut well, himself that adrift? Is exactly what the Europeans are afraid he will be sucked into uh, by President Putin. Mm. They think that President Putin's key aim is to weaken NATO. He will uh, exploit Mr. Trump's doubts about mm. NATO. He will suggest that Mr. Trump should perhaps cancel some American operations with NATO, exactly. should reduce the budget. Comp- uh, now, I think it's a bit far fetched to believe that even Donald Trump. Uh, could be gulled by the Russian leader into essentially emasculating NATO. I don't think that's likely. Mm. I think there's a completely different agenda Mr. Trump has in mind for his meeting with Putin, which in a way is not so bad, though it would actually cause a lot of harumphing in Europe. And that is the so-called grand bargain. Mm. And that is to do with the Middle East and Ukraine. Yes. And we see... Uh, the two key Saudi, uh, key Arab allies of America, Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Israel, right. have all been pushing for this idea that the Russians should get Iran out of Syria in return that America would drop sanctions over Crimea. Yes. And Mr. Putin would guarantee, or you would hope he'd guarantee, to pull 
these forces, we don't, it is sort of rather uh, irregular forces, out of eastern Ukraine and get to a real deal with Ukrainians. Now, mm. that is a grand bargain, which in some ways is no bad thing. It, it breaks a number of log jams. Right. But, of course, the first thing is, could Mr. Trump get Putin to deliver? Mm. Could he really get the Iranians out of Syria? I'm not sure. And would he really do a deal on Ukraine that would not uh, leave the Ukrainians thinking they'd been betrayed? Right. Yes, and what happens to Crimea in this as well? Because it, it's uh, certainly but the words which Mr. Yeah. Trump actually uttered uh, very recently, in fact, a few months ago, he basically inferred, well, actually Russia's entitled to yeah. Crimea, even though oh, the I Ukrainians think would Crimea's disagree with off. that. I think yeah. actually, despite all the words, even Western Europe yeah. thinks that we're never that Crimea Will never go back I agree, to but it's the fact that he has validated the um, yeah. the, the, the Russian position. Yeah. That's the thing that's stuck in the craw of many of the Europeans because they were actually supporting the right. Ukrainians. I mean, look, you're absolutely correct. They've accepted yes. that um, they're never going to get Crimea no. back, except no. by some sort of quirk of fate or an act of generosity on the part of, of Vladimir Putin. That is not going to happen. But it is the principle that if you actually, uh, if you publicly declare, okay, fine, it's a fair cop, this is yours. Yes. What else is he going to gobble yes. up? Because as far yeah. as he's concerned, right. you know what? Zero resistance, okay, okay, we get this sort of screaming, the protestations, etc. But it is zero resistance in essence. So right. let's move on to something else. I, I want to bring it back just uh, just uh, briefly to Theresa May as she'll be uh, meeting with Trump ahead of uh, him meeting with Putin. Uh, obviously, the strained relationship between uh, Britain and Russia, but Trump is quite cozy with Moscow. How does Theresa May play into that and in, in how she approaches d- discussing with the American well, president? Well, this is why you've got all the nice pomp and circumstance. Right. Okay, so he's not getting the full spiel uh, as, as he would get if he if, if he if he wasn't such a controversial figure. In other words, the coach ride down the mall, etc. But what she's really hoping for as well is to, to get some form of cooperation, in, involvement, call it what you will, from the Russians in regard to Salisbury. We shouldn't forget this because, look, you had two people who mm. were poisoned, two people accidentally found um, the, the canister, whatever this, this, this Novichok poison was in. Tragically, a woman is dead, another, a man is, has regained consciousness but he's fighting for his life. And that's really sort of widened it on. It, it, it's gone beyond ex-spy and his daughter. We're talking about two ordinary people. They're still trying to find out where this damn canister is. So she's hoping that somehow or other Trump will weave that into the conversation. But I personally think that she might as well get him to talk about mm. um, the lilies in the lake. It's not going to happen right. because he's got his own agenda going into this. Well, we know the way Trump is, even if uh, we may make it, which may make it impossible for him to to deal with him yeah. is well, there he could do it if he right. wanted to but he won't. if he wanted to of course is is there any way something positive can come of this for may i mean we've 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 touched on uh, trade nato etc but is, is there any way that relationship builds or is it something positive for britain you mean yes. for theresa may well the fact that mr trump is here and mm. will probably say some fine words about relations with britain which are uh, you know it doesn't really help one way or the other and will say of course we're going to try to help britain's brexit negotiations mm. in any way we can though as we've just been discussing. Actually, this is rather difficult because under the white paper terms, Britain can't really uh, start Mm. new trade deals with America uh, after all. But uh, the fact that he's kind of saved her face because she has invited him. uh, She invited him a long time ago, right at the beginning. Then she was really caught about having to make it happen. And he has made it quite clear he didn't want to come because he was frightened of uh, demonstrations. Mm. Now he is coming. The trade, the state visit is sort of going ahead, the Queen and all that, and she can breathe a sigh of relief and sort of say, it's worked. You know, we have normal good relations with America Let's move on. But can we ever really have normal relations right, with yeah. this well, particular can incumbent? Anyone, can anyone? You see, for me, the other interesting thing about this visit 
is that yes, you've you've got the 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 overt p- political. Well, it's it's really the theatre of it, I should say, because uh, Mr. Trump has has got a very sharp antenna in, in terms right. of PR. Oh yeah. So there are loads and loads of photo opportunities. It's going to play very 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 well at home, and certainly with NATO and the threats, etc. Because he's, he's claimed the credit for something which hasn't quite happened yet, but maybe it has, but it slipped our notice. But I think. It also detracts attention away from South from North Korea because he had that success, the apparent success. Yeah, and now but it seems that Kim's what's gone the back. Result? Exactly, what's nothing, the result? nothing, nothing. That's what they're frightened of in Helsinki that the same would happen with Putin. Exactly, but for the moment, the the photo opportunity with the Queen being over here, the the Prime Minister needs him. He's done her a favour, as you've rightly right. said. Plus the fact he's been muscle flexing over NATO. It, if you like, sort of diverts attention away from the failure of North Korea because, yes, it looked great as a photo opportunity, but analysts said at the time there's only one winner in this, and it is Kim. Mm. Kim scored a blinder. Mm. Uh, we talk about the deep economic, cultural, military intelligence sharing um, mm. ties between the US and the UK that are obviously so important right now. Mm. But there's a military uh, expert, yeah. Yeah, exactly. element to this as well with the, sure. the displays at Sandhurst, We have this so-called special relationship. Can that survive, thrive with the, the Trump cannonball, well, as it were? It, yeah. it can't be completely destroyed. Right. I mean, there are things that don't depend on the presidency. Mm. I mean, as you say, the intelligence sharing mm. and military cooperation, these will go on whatever. Mm. And business ties also, they're completely independent of whoever's in the White House. I mean, there's a huge raft of relations with America so that just because you have difficult political relations, it doesn't mean that everything else goes wrong. Trade relations are very important. Now, that covers a big range. And of course, what she's got to try to do is persuade him, look, just don't get into a trade war because everyone Mm. will suffer. Whether she'll have to work, I'm not sure. But... um, We'll see. I mean, I think the big question that hasn't yet been answered, which matters probably more to Mr. Trump than anyone else, is who will play golf with him in Scotland? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it won't be the Queen. We know that. (laughs) But but you're you're absolutely correct. I mean, look, he's 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 having fun. Well, is he having fun? Sort of, sort of, because mm. he does follow the internet. We know this, and he will be offended by um by by the rubber the rubber balloon image and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, at least from Theresa May's point of view, she's got this this show on the road. She's got it right. over and done mm. with because she was under some pressure as well about um about the wisdom of of having this. And I think you're right, Michael. It's not going to. It's not going to destroy the special relationship because there is a, a romantic element to it. Although, having said that, he he doesn't buy into that because he no. said at the G7, look, history has got nothing to do with this, you know, right. and you guys have got to get over the fact that we mm. worked together in the Second right. World War. Because, you know, don't forget that it's, it's the midterms that are coming up as well and he, he needs to win. So, yeah. again, it is the grandstanding. The special relationship is intact. But I think that from the British perspective, it's harder maintaining it because you are dealing with somebody who is very temperamental and who contradicts themselves and who has a love affair with Russia. Some would mm. say a very unhealthy love affair. We're going to go to Russia in a minute. Absolutely fascinating analysis and well said from my guest Juliet Foster and Michael Binion. Coming up next after this short break, the World Cup, the world leaders flocking to it as well. Monaco has bureau around the world in Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, London, Toronto, and New York City. In Hong Kong, our bureau chief is James Chambers. 
There's no such thing as a, an ordinary day in Hong Kong. On any one day, I may be interviewing a city mayor or having coffee with a hotelier or chatting with an interior designer and then trying out the latest bar or restaurant. And mixed in with all of this, there'll be some wacky or outrageous news coming out of China, which deserves to be covered on the radio. So it's this variety that I really love about the job. Hear from Monocle's editors and correspondents on the stories that matter and the places that matter every day on Monocle 24. Welcome back to Midori House. Still with me, Juliet Foster and Michael Binion. Football, sadly, did not come home. Maybe going to Paris, who knows. But it might be heading to Croatia or France. And one dignitary rumored to be in attendance at the World Cup closing ceremony this weekend will be North Korean Vice President Ri Ri Yong-nam. Ri is also the chairman of the North Korean Football Association. I guess that's why he's there. And joins other politicians who've attended games, such as Benjamin Netanyahu, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Who can remember? Forget that from the first match, and Emmanuel Macron. So is the World Cup just a big hospitality exercise for Vladimir Putin and some of his very good friends? And uh, which nations are on that list? If so, uh, Michael Theresa May won't be receiving an invite for the third-place match, will she? No, she won't. I'm yeah. afraid it would, even if she did, she couldn't go. Yeah. Having said so many things about uh, Russia and about Mr. Putin personally and the government he leads, and of course still in the middle of this long quarrel over the poisoning of these two Russians in Salisbury, it's impossible for her to go. There would have been pressure, I right. think, for somebody to go mm-hmm. if Britain had reached the final. If right. it had been a Britain-France, sorry, England, if England France playoff in the final, she would have had, not she, but somebody, somebody might have had to go. Yeah. But by not reaching the final, that particular problem's uh, removed. The problem for the Western leaders generally is that Russia has run a wonderful mm. World Cup. Right. Uh, they've done everything by the book. They've run it efficiently. It's been happy. It's been a, good, a lot of good games, well covered. The fans have been kept in order. No hooliganism, not a peep from any Russian uh, hooligans. Uh, in many ways, Mr. Putin has put on a brilliant show mm. for the world. Right. And this is very difficult for Western leaders because at the same time, they're trying to say that Mr. Putin is running a terrible regime and, you know, everything is uh, undemocratic, this, that and the other. Russians appear to be happy. The country appears at ease. And it doesn't quite chime with the image being put about. Mm, absolutely, because it, it's funny that um, I'm, I'm big enough and old enough and ugly enough to remember the, the Moscow Olympics and the, right. the huge mm, so controversy surrounding that. You were there. I was, there. I was watching it on the television. <laughs> but I, even then I felt a bit guilty watching it because, of course, mm. we, um, Britain uh, told its... Well, Britain sent its athletes, but America didn't go. Right. And, of course, then you had the LA Olympics and the Russians retaliated because they withdrew their sport. And of course, there was this huge, sorry, this squad, there was a huge argument about the relationship between politics and sport. Can you actually separate them? And what we saw here with the with with, with the World Cup was that the Russians actually managed to achieve right. that. And I know, speaking for myself, I was, I was fascinated when Russia were playing Croatia because had the Russians won then, of course, they would have played England. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. um, what, would, what would that have done? Because you're right. absolutely right, Michael, yeah. that the, the camaraderie amongst the fans, yeah. it was really impressive that even fans supporting teams that had lost, they stayed behind right. and they adopted another team. But what would have happened if Russia had played against England and what would have happened if England had won? <laughs> uh, we talk about uh, Putin being able to successfully marry politics and football. Uh, do you think he's done a good job in making gains by using Russia's soft power during the World Cup, Michael? Oh, und- undoubtedly, mm. yes, yeah. very well. I mean, it's it's gone in every way. It's gone his way. Uh, first of all, his home team did far better than right. could possibly have been expected. 
Secondly, his biggest critics' home team, namely England, also did much better than、mm. they could have expected, and that will, of course, have dampened. In some ways,、sure. muted the criticism of Russia、Absolutely. by the English or by the British in general. The other thing is because the teams that came through were the unexpected ones, it made it a very lively spectacle, and it was quite unpredictable and quite unexpected. So it, it made for good sport, which reflects in turn upon good organisation.、Yeah. And Russia's quietly able to slip in some impressive stuff. So people were pretty free to get there. I mean,、uh, it's difficult finding tickets, but they didn't need visas. If they had a fan ticket, they could get there,、right. fly straight out. And a lot of people who wouldn't have dreamed of going to Russia went there. They thought they were going to be beaten up by Russian、mm. hooligans. They thought it was going to be really difficult. They find a normal, happy country. Right.、Mm. Absolutely. Uh, so a P, uh, certainly a PR win for Vladimir Putin. What, what about with all these world leaders and interesting characters in the stands with <laughs> Vladimir Putin? Does that reflect well on FIFA, and does it even matter at this point? Well, from FIFA's point of view, it's absolutely marvelous, isn't it?、Right. Because you know, this this whole thing happened at the time when FIFA was firefighting in its own backyard. So this. This looks great because I mean there were accusations that、um, money was exchanged, we say, amongst、right. the various amongst various individuals. And、um, okay, we, well, we don't know. Maybe the truth or, or otherwise will come out at some juncture. But you know, this was great for for FIFA because it 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 was firefighting. There were real issues about its credibility, particularly. When um oh gosh I can't remember his name now um Blatter Set Blatter yeah, yes yeah. I re- I remember、Blatter. the rude version of his name、yeah. but I can't repeat <laughs> it but um when Set Blatter he he re- he refused to to move even when it was、yeah. clear that he was an obstacle to any reforms and that if 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 FIFA was to prove that it had learned the errors of its ways he had to go so yes he has gone and yes this has been absolutely marvelous of course the real test is what happens with Qatar because remember there were allegations of corruption sou-、mm. surrounding that、mm. particular exercise because、right. of the time of day that well the the fact That it was going to Qatar, very hot country. The World Cup is traditionally played in the summer. Would you really want to play、yeah. so- soccer in Qatar during the summer? I think they're actually moving the transmission to later in the year, probably around September, when temperatures are a bit cooler.、Mm. But there's no doubt about it that Putin has set a very high benchmark for Qatar because. There was a lot of politics surrounding this, and yes,、right. we were looking at the politics, but nobody talked about the circumstances in which Russia won the bid. I do not ever recall hearing these questions raised、no. amongst the sports journalists when they were peeling back the layers. They didn't talk about it. It was all about how well or how badly the teams were going to、right. perform. The traditional areas, like the referee, the, the video referees as well, were they effective or were they a burden on the games? It was a great PR coup for him. I wonder、uh, what the small talk was when you had the FIFA new FIFA president sat between、uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and Vladimir Putin.、Yeah. That must have been interesting. We, can, all, we can only speculate. Oh, to be a fly—well, not so much a fly on the、yeah. wall, but there's a fly buzzing around. But it must have been quite embarrassing for the prince that Saudi、Indeed. Arabia get thrashed five. Was it five-one or、yeah. something? And by the, the worst team, in the, supposedly the worst team、yeah. in the FIFA rankings. And they did incredibly well. Although my theory is that perhaps the Russians implied or deliberately spread the rumor that the team is terrible, right? Simply so that they could take everybody by surprise. Because I think we were taken by surprise. A handshake, a wink, and a smile—no matter between the leaders. Exactly.、Uh, just lastly, I want to、uh, talk about the NHS. The UK's National Health Service has been a pioneer in many areas, but one statistic you may not be aware of: the NHS is reportedly the world's largest purchaser and retainer of fax machines. <laughs> 
the Royal College of Surgeons has described the NHS as being stubbornly attached to the technology, which largely disappeared some 20 years ago when that thing called email arrived. The findings were uncovered recently after freedom of information request. Uh, Juliette, uh, uh, when did you last send a fax? Um, I, the last time I sent a fax was about... 20 years ago. But, <laughs> there you have uh, it. Uh, 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 but there is a caveat to right. this. It's not, it, well, because I've, I've never really had cause to use faxes. And when I've tried to send fax machines, because I'm not very good with technology, I've messed them up. But having said that, I would back the NHS in using faxes because I do not believe in the infallibility of technology. Right. And when technology goes wrong, surprise, surprise, mm. it's the redundant technology mm. that bails everybody oh, out. Right. Solutions. Yep, yep. Is there not a greater story here, though? The cost one side and the amount of people perhaps inconvenienced by having to send a fax is that that well yes it's usually internally i think the nhs sends it to each other because Mm. it does avoid printing out an email that's the other thing you i mean the printout is which some love to do yeah well you would otherwise i mean you can't say it's a bit slower going through but it's not that much worse in terms of what it's meant to do which is provide a printout bit of paper for one doctor to take around and and show to another or something like that so if, uh, if you ask the general public to fax in something, that is certainly inconvenient. Right. Uh, mm. But I don't think they're asking that. Between uh, officers, sure. <laughs> but, sure. I mean, the NHS got caught out with a massive computer breakdown, so maybe they're just trying to keep these as a sort of, uh, uh, you know, it's like keeping steam trains when your diesels right. don't work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they've actually said as well that these faxes are important yeah. for confidentiality when you're, when you're dealing with, with right. patient notes, etc. With yeah. the issues with the internet and hacking and, exactly. uh, and data yeah. breaches, perhaps, uh, perhaps there's something in that. Just a brief we only have a few seconds here, but uh, any uh, old technology that uh, any of us uh, oh, yeah. love well, to hang on to? Ballpoint pen. Ballpoint pen. Oh, yes. We all yeah, have we one all here. Yeah. Those. Uh, checkbooks. Yes, checkbooks. Uh, checkbooks, easy to use. Uh, yeah. Everyone wants to get rid of them. Banks don't like them because it costs them money to process. Right. So much easier to pay with a check. Mm. And I prefer bank statements as well on the yes, but so paper bank yes, statements. Yes. I refuse to go online. Yes. And at least it forces them to send me my statements. Whereas if, if there's a computer glitch right. and everything gets wiped out, that's it. But I need my paper. I'm hooked on it. Ah, uh, well, newspapers. Yeah. Yes, I mean, newspapers. Uh, we're in the business of <laughs> magazines and newspapers. I mean, I'm in a newspaper that's very proud of its record in uh, getting online. But I, I have to say, I like to read the Times on a newspaper. Exactly. Fair As enough. it should be read. <laughs> As it should be. Uh, we can agree with that here at Monocle. And perhaps the millennial in the room is rethinking the way he does banking. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's show. Juliet Foster, Michael Binion, thank you so very much for joining us here in Studio One at Midori House. Today's show, research by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Lemichi Okamoto and Paula Schulz. Our studio manager was David Stevens. More music is next. And then at 1900 hours, it is The Urbanist with Andrew Tuck. And we'll have more on the day's main stories on the Monocle Daily with Paul Osborne at 2200. Midori House back at the same time tomorrow, 1800 London time. I'm Daniel Bates. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.